Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Grace. You know, we're in a series right now called Gut Check Parables. We're looking at some of these teachings of Jesus that kind of stop us in our tracks and make us question our priorities and our values and and if the road we're on is gonna get us to where we want to go. Now, the Oxford Dictionary has an interesting definition for gut check. I don't know if this is a a word or, or a phrase that you use in your own life very often, but here's how it defines it. An evaluation or test of a person's resolve, commitment, or priorities, typically with respect to a particular course of action. And I believe that these parables cause us to do that. Now, the one we're looking at today is very special to me because if you know any of my story, you know that this is the parable that was preached on the evening that I really crossed over, as I like to say, and really began my journey personally with Jesus Christ. So obviously, it has a special place in my heart. But I wanna take an approach today that's a bit different. I wanna share with you five reasons why this is a gut check parable for me. Five reasons. And wherever you are spiritually, and I know we've got people listening right now at our campuses and online that are they're honestly all over the map spiritually. I'm amazed at how diverse this congregation is in all kinds of ways, but, but one of the ways we're different is in kind of where we are on the journey. Some are just getting started. Others have been walking with Christ and deepening in, in him and his word for many years now. But wherever you are, I've been praying all, all week that God would make this a gut check moment for us. So the first thing I want you to see about this that that makes it a gut check parable for me is this, that the owner, and that is God, God represents the owner in this parable. He's called the master in the parable often. He dares to entrust his property for us to manage. I think that becomes pretty clear right up front. We read in verse 14, again, it, that is, it is referring to the kingdom of God. Uh, The context in Matthew 25 is a series of parables that the Lord is giving about the kingdom of God and what life in the kingdom of God looks like. So if you're in the kingdom, if you're a disciple, then, then this is personal. This is directed to you. Life in the kingdom will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now, what is a talent exactly and how much is it worth? Answer, nobody really knows. If you read one commentator, they'll say, oh, a talent is worth a million dollars. If you read another interpreter of scripture, he or she may say, 
oh, it's worth $100. And you scratch your head at that and go, how can there be such a discrepancy here? Well, I'm gonna explain that. Here's the reason you'll see commentaries and even study notes in your study Bible giving different answers to that. Because the talent was simply a measure of weight. That's all it was. It was a measure of weight equivalent to about 90 pounds, okay? So if it's a talent of gold, by today's values, it would be worth well over $2 million, one talent of gold. I also looked up this week, if it happened to be bronze, let's say, it would be worth exactly $216, one talent of bronze. And silver would be somewhere in the middle of that, but you get the idea. The point is, that the owner has dared to entrust his property to these servants for them to manage. And that is the first thing that makes this a gut check parable for me. Because whoever you are, God has entrusted gifts and abilities and resources and influence and opportunities for service and growth and all kinds of possibility and potential. He's entrusted that to you, to me. And he wants us, here it is, he wants us to manage it wisely for him, not for our own accolades or so that we will get glory and praise, but it's for him. It's the classic stewardship question. What did you do? with everything that was entrusted to you. And when we understand that, when we understand that we're not the owner, but that we're simply using somebody else's property, that should make us want to be good stewards. (laughs) Years ago, when our children were really small, we had some friends here in the church, wonderful people, who were incredibly generous with us. And they allowed us, they knew we were gonna go on vacation, but we were worried that our cars wouldn't make it. Have you ever been there? Where the car I was driving at the time was like 20 years old and and I could literally see the road. I could literally see the road, no joke, through the floorboard. I had a friendly little mouse who would come in and visit me through that hole, literally, and built a little nest in the car. I mean, it was so much fun. I called it a designer car. It was truly unique, one of a kind, no other like it. So, But it just wasn't reliable enough for us to take either of our cars on a vacation. So our friends let us use their van. Wow. And we were so excited because it was a really nice van. It wasn't just a normal van. It was a custom van. It looked great on the outside and had all these special features on the inside. And so when we were driving our friend's van on our way south on our vacation, listen, we treated it like gold. Every time we stopped to get gasoline, you know what I did? I got out and carefully squeegeed the window. I would even do the side windows. I would get bugs off the front of the vehicle, you know, because we wanted 
it to be in perfect condition. We wanted to use that van well. We wanted our friends to know we really appreciated it. Now, we had small kids at the time, as I say, and you guys know how it is. Many of you have small children. And you know that your lives are busy. So whether you've got a van or, or an SUV or a, a normal vehicle, whatever you have, you know that you do a lot of eating on the run, right? You, you eat while you're going to the next activity, whether it's one of your kids' activities, whatever. So you find yourself eating in the car, eating in the van. And so it's typical for parents with young kids to have food, all over the van. You know what I'm talking like petrified French fries is what I'm talking about. Now, come on, let's have a moment of honesty here. If we, some of you have young kids, if we went out to your van right now, we would find enough food just lying around on the carpet and in the seats to make up a happy meal. We, seriously, right now. But no, not when we're using our friend's van. We allowed no eating in the car. Our kids were bummed about that. No eating in the car. You could not find a single crumb in that vehicle that had fallen. Bottom line, we treated our friend's van better than if we owned it ourselves. You know what I wish? I wish we had more of that attitude toward God's stuff. Now go with me here. That body that you call yours, it's really God's. How are you treating it? That mind you say is your mind, your brain, but no, it's God's, it's just on loan. How are you stewarding that? That time that you say is my time. Well, no, no, wait a minute, it's God's time. He's the owner, he's, he's the master. How are you treating that? Those relationships that God has so graciously allowed in your life where you actually are esteemed by some people, you have influence with them. Question, how are you stewarding that? Because it all belongs to God. Just like the people in this parable, we will give an account for how we manage everything God has given to us. And that's the first thing that just makes this an absolute gut check parable for me. But here's the second one. Here's the second one that gets my attention. The owner distributes the talents unequally. Yuck. I mean, that's just politically incorrect, is it not? I mean, look at verse 15 again. Let's read it again. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. And then he went on his journey. Wait a minute. I thought the Bible taught that God does not show favoritism. It does. That's true. It teaches that in numerous places. But it's also true that God makes us different. And even from birth, some of us have different IQs and temperaments and innate talents. And one of the keys I've discovered to contentment in life is to accept the fact that God has made me different and God wants me to be me. He wants you to be you. 
I think the number one source of discontentment in our world is comparisons, unfair comparisons. We look around at others that we think have more. We think they're happier. We think their marriage is a lot better. We look at their life and we go, wow, I'm so envious. I'd love to have that person's life. And it makes us miserable. It makes us jealous. It makes us discontented. One guy said to his financial advisor, how can I ever get out of debt when my neighbors keep buying things I can't afford? Right? And so we, we play this comparison game. Can I give you one of the most important verses you'll ever look at in the Bible? Here it is. I want you to note this. One of the most important. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Quit the comparison game. Here's why. You're not, you're not gonna give an account for them. You are gonna give an account for the person you see in the mirror. And friends, it's a wonderful day in our life when we stop comparing ourselves with others and accept the fact that God doesn't give a completely level playing field in this world. He just doesn't. Some people are more gifted to make money than you are. They have keener financial instincts. Other people in God's providence happen to be in the right place at the right time. Some people inherit a bunch of family wealth and are born with a proverbial silver spoon in their mouth. And many of us were not. Are we gonna be miserable about that? Football coach Barry Switzer, who coached for years at Oklahoma and later in the NFL, said some people are born on third base and they go through life acting like they hit a triple. <laughs> I think he's right. You ever, set, you ever met these people? They act smug. They seem, their nose is in the air. But if they had to hit for themselves, they'd strike out 90% of the time. So hear me today. Life, let's just mark this down. It does not provide a completely level playing field. We need to come to grips with that. Even in this parable, I mean, one guy gets, starts out with five times more than another guy. That didn't make him more special in God's eyes. See, that's what we need to hear. That didn't make him more special. In fact, watch this, it even increased his accountability. God expected more from him. In a parallel passage in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 12, it says, from everyone who's been given much, and this is Jesus now talking, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So with much gifting, with much opportunity, with much talent comes much responsibility. But that's a good segue to the third thing that makes this a gut check parable for me. Here it is, number three, we are individually responsible for what we do with what we were given. Now, it's obvious that these guys had choices, right? 
The owner's not micromanaging them. They're not puppets on a string. They had to study the situation. They had to do the risk-reward ratio thing, right? They couldn't pawn that off to somebody else because they were individually going to give an account for how they stewarded what they had been given. The same is true for us. Oh, (laughs) I can recall it just as though it were yesterday, the moment that broke through to my young heart, that's one of the things that was the first gut check for me, that I, I, Rex Keener, am personally going to stand before a holy and almighty God and give an account one day for my one and only life. I'm not trying to be melodramatic, but I gotta ask you, have you come to grips with that? You, you, individually, will give an account one day. It's a consistent teaching of Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament, it's not a tangential thing. It's not a little secondary theme. This is a major theme of Scripture that we as individuals will give an account before God. Look at verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Wow. Just doesn't seem cool in today's politically correct culture. I mean, come on. In the parable we explored last week, and if you haven't heard that, please check it out. There's so much good stuff there. I've been overwhelmed by response from that. People just saying, man, God is speaking to me through that gut check parable. But in that parable, if you haven't heard it, this rich farmer guy is chastised for hoarding wealth. Is there a double standard going on here? I mean, shouldn't shouldn't Jesus lash out at this five-talent guy and kind of scold him for his 10 talents? Shouldn't the Lord say, look, dude, you don't need all that. How dare you? How dare you have this much when others don't? But on the contrary, The owner commends him warmly, come, share my happiness. He was being applauded for his diligent investment. You say, well, what gives? Well, we gotta understand there's a huge difference between the rich fool we saw last week and this wise servant. The rich fool was completely in it for himself. It was all about him. It's obvious he was narcissistic about it. This guy is doing it all for the master. Motive matters. Oh, I, I constantly, constantly evaluate myself with this proverb. Proverbs 16, verse two. This is so good. All a man's ways seem innocent to him. We put the best spin on ourselves, don't we? Well, 
I'm honorable. I'm doing this because I care. I'm doing this because of the kingdom. I'm doing this because I'm such a wonderful person. But motives are weighed by the Lord. Now listen, I'm gonna get really personal right now. Forgive me. But some of you are five talent people and you've been so richly blessed by God and oh, praise God, you have in many cases used that five talent stuff wonderfully well for the kingdom. And some of you are still very driven. And even though you're getting a little older these days, you're still driving and driving and driving to try to create this spectacular portfolio. And you're just wearing yourself out to get more. Can I just, can I just make a humble suggestion that sometime you stop, stop, and just ask yourself this question. Why am I doing this? Because motives are weighed by the Lord. Check yourself. Why am I doing this? Now, it may be wonderful. You, you may be like the five-talent guy in this parable who's really motivated for the kingdom and for his master and to be a good steward. And if so, praise be to God. Let the applause ascend. But it may not be true. You may be doing it for other reasons. And here's one of the ways you'd know. Can I, can I just humbly suggest some ways you might know? If you're riddled with anxiety over all that stuff and how those investments are doing and that new business deal that you've torn your hair out this week uh, in stress over, if you're just constantly riddled with anxiety, maybe it's an indication that you've lost sight of why you should be doing this. Or if your contentment is not high, See, it's godliness with contentment that is great gain. Not a fabulous portfolio, but a discontented soul. The only thing you're gonna take with you is your soul. Never seen the Brinks car following the hearse. You're only gonna take you. So it's you, it's your soul. It's the person you're becoming. And you need to ask yourself this week, I know I'm very personal right now, but am I weighing everything in the light of its value in eternity? And if you can honestly answer, you know what? This, this is just greed on my part. Then have the courage to just admit that and have the courage to make some prudent choices and change some things. But then the, the two-talent guy shows up, and look at what happens here. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. By the way, if you're checking this, there is not one Greek letter difference in how the two-talent guy was commended in comparison to how the five-talent guy was commended. Well done, 
good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The master gave both faithful servants the exact same praise. God in his unfathomable wisdom judges fairly. I will only give an account for what he's given me, not for what he's given you. Oh, that's such good news. You know what I believe? I believe that one day in heaven, the people making headlines, the people making big news in heaven will be, in many cases, women and men you've never heard of. They were one talent and two talent people who were faithful with what they'd been given. But now we come, honestly, to one of the most challenging features to me about this parable. Here it is, number four, and that is that the unfaithful servant is treated harshly. Let's read on here in the parable. Then the man who'd received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seeds. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked lazy servant. So you knew that a harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Does that seem a little harsh to you? I mean, you kind of expect him to say, ah, your life is hard. The ground's not level, you know. Hey, you get another chance, man. Look, you're gonna be on probation for a while. Or maybe he'd say, hey, listen, man, it's all cool, but we're gonna send you to a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace <laughs> University seminar. Dave will get you straightened out. By the way, if you haven't signed up for that... Shameless plug, you need to sign up. There's still time, sign up. But we live in a culture where people are seldom held accountable for bad behavior. God's gonna hold us accountable one day. The Bible says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So let's be clear, the talents in this parable represent a whole lot more than money. I hope we've made that clear. They represent our abilities, our opportunities, our influence, our everything that God has entrusted to us, but they also represent our finances. And the question is, have we earned money honestly? Have we spent it prudently? Have we invested it wisely? And have we given generously? And even the one talent people, yes, even the one talent people will give an account on judgment day. 
And oh my, oh the story, oh the story that our calendars and our checkbooks are gonna tell on that day. They will show where my real priorities were as they will yours. But there's one fifth and final thing that, that I would say makes this a gut check parable for me. Here it is, and that is that God applauds a faithful servant and gives him or her more, more. Matthew 25, verse 28, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. Wouldn't you expect it to read, take it from him and give it to the one who has only four, or take it and give it to somebody who doesn't have hardly anything. Why give more to the one who has 10? Well, verse 29, Jesus kind of speaks to that. He says, for everyone who has will be given more, and he, he will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. I think an important lesson here is that God honors those who honor him. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, the message is clear. Those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me will be disdained. 1 Samuel 2, verse 30b. And so the judges in ancient Israel were taught in Leviticus 19, verse 15, do not pervert justice, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. The point is, since God doesn't show favoritism, we shouldn't either. Everyone's accountable to God. And he's fair to all. The five-talent man is rewarded. Why, why? Because he had stewarded it well. God takes seriously our stewardship. So uh, there's one lesson that I would love for us to take away today. And here it is. I just want to put it on the screens. That is the best investments are made with eternity in view. Weigh everything, brothers and sisters. Weigh everything. And I, I know you care about this as I do. Weigh everything in light of its value in eternity. Make investments, whether it's your time, relationships, money, whether it is stewarding your body, your mind, whether it's Christian ministry, do it all with eternity in view. Because burying your talent in the ground helps nobody. If you read on in this same chapter, we're not gonna do it right now, but you'll, you'll come to the parable called the sheep and the goats. That's what it's commonly called. Man, you talk about a, another gut check parable. We're not looking at that this month, but man, it's, a, it's another gut check parable for me. And it talks about judgment day. When the son of man comes in his glory and he will gather the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left hand, and to those on the right, he will say, come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, 
you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. And those who are so honored, you know what they're gonna say, Lord? What? I'm trying to think back here, but when, when did we see you in need? And he'll say, the same as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. What kind of investments are we making with our lives? I've made several trips to Poland to either teach in a seminary there outside of, uh, well, in a little town called Radosz, just outside of Warsaw. And I've preached in various places around the country and done uh, teaching at conferences and so on and really love the Polish people. But while in Poland, two different occasions, I've toured Auschwitz, the infamous Nazi death camp, where so many tens of thousands were exterminated, starved to death, tortured, etc. To say, to say it's a sobering experience would be the understatement of the year. It's been turned into somewhat of a museum where many tourists come, and mostly there's just a reverent silence as the tourists go by. And you look at bins with human hair from the prisoners there. You look at thousands of shoes of all different sizes. One, one huge bin behind glass contains nothing but suitcases, just suitcases. Suitcases from Jewish people who had lugged them there on the train to their death. And each suitcase has names and addresses on it, many of them in huge two-inch carefully stenciled letters. And imagine these poor souls bringing their valued possessions, their silver, their gold, all of the personal things they cherish the most, thinking they were gonna keep it. But it was useless. The contents were only gonna go into the coffers of their enemies. And there was a mock saying among the Nazi guards, the only escape from Auschwitz is through the smoke of the chimney. But you know, that's a picture of us so many times in life. We lug our possessions around thinking they're gonna make us secure and happy. But in the end, in the end, we just turn them back over to the world and leave them behind with nothing we came into the world and with nothing we depart, the wisest thing we can do is to invest what God has entrusted to us, whatever that is, for his kingdom. Luke 6, 38 is just such a powerful verse. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I, I sense this is your heart as well. I want nothing more than on that great day to hear from my Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I'm gonna put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness.
Father, that is our prayer. That is our prayer. That we'd live in such a way, we'd have such a gut check if we've not been living this way, we'd live in such a way from this day forward that you know what, that would be true. We'd live with the end in mind. I simply wanna hear, well done. So Lord, uh, if there's tweaks we need to make, if there's changes we need to bring in the way we're living and the way we're stewarding our one and only life, oh, our hearts are open. We're ready because we realize that this life is so fleeting, it's so short, it's over in a, in a moment. We're like a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So Father, help us to be wise stewards and let us do it for your glory. And we pray in the name of Jesus, amen, amen. and amen.